Hi, this is Tim Lehart. And this is Debbie Lehart. And you're, you're listening, listening to Word of Hope Christian, Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Texas. Hi, everyone, and welcome once again to part three of our sermon series, Not a Fan. Today, we're going to be looking at 2 Chronicles chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 12. We're going to go all the way to verse 39 and then cross over into chapter 7, verses 1 and 2, where Solomon dedicates the temple he built for God. And we're going to answer the question, does God need the temple? I want to set the stage for you in the text this morning that we're going to read. All of Israel has gathered in Jerusalem to celebrate the completion of the temple Solomon built for God. This was a time of great excitement. The festivities lasted for 14 days, and they made sacrifices of 22,000 cattle and 120,000 sheep and goats. Some of those sacrifices were offered up in entirety to God, but many of them were shared in common meals among the worshipers. It's in the midst of this celebration that Solomon blesses the people and bows before God in their presence to offer up this prayer. So open up your Bible or Bible apps to 2 Chronicles chapter 6. We're going to start with verse 12. We're going to go all the way to verse 39 and then cross over into chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Here we go, 2 Chronicles chapter 6, starting with verse 12. Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in front of the entire community of Israel, and he lifted his hands in prayer. Now Solomon made a bronze platform seven and a half feet long, seven and a half feet wide, and four and a half feet high, and had it placed at the center of the temple's outer courtyard. He stood on the platform, and then he knelt in front of the entire community of Israel and lifted his hands toward heaven. He prayed, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in all of heaven and earth. You keep your covenant and show unfailing love to all who walk before you in wholehearted devotion. You have kept your promise to your servant David, my father. You made that promise with your own mouth, and with your own hands you have fulfilled it today. And now, O Lord, God of Israel, carry out the additional promise you made to your servant David, my father. For you said to him, If your descendants guard their behavior and faithfully follow my law as you have done, one of them will always sit on the throne of Israel. Now, O Lord, God of Israel, fulfill this promise to your servant David. But will God really live on earth among people? Why, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. Nevertheless, listen to my prayer and my plea, O Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is making to you. May you watch over this temple day and night, this place where you have said you would put your name. May you always hear the prayers I make towards this place. May you hear the humble and earnest requests from me and your people Israel when we pray toward this place. Yes, hear us from heaven where you live, and when you hear, forgive. If someone wrongs another person and is required to take an oath of innocence in front of your altar at this temple, then hear from heaven and judge between your servants, the accuser and the accused. Pay back the guilty as they deserve. Acquit the innocent because of their innocence. If your people Israel are defeated by their enemies because they have sinned against you, and if they turn back and acknowledge your name and pray to you here in this temple, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel 
and returned them to this land you gave them and to their ancestors. If the skies are shut up and there is no rain because your people have sinned against you, and if they pray toward this temple and acknowledge your name and turn from their sins because you have punished them, then hear from heaven and forgive the sins of your servants, your people Israel. Teach them to follow the right path and send rain on your land that you have given to your people as their special possession. If there is a famine in the land, or a plague, or crop, disease, or attack of locusts or caterpillars, or if your people's enemies are in the land besieging their towns, whatever disaster or disease there is, and if your people Israel pray about their troubles or sorrow, raising their hands toward this temple, then hear from heaven where you live and forgive. Give your people what their actions deserve, for you alone know each human heart. Then they will fear you and walk in your ways as long as they live in the land you gave to our ancestors. In the future, foreigners who do not belong to your people Israel will hear you. They will come from distant lands when they hear of your great name and your strong hand and your powerful arm. And when they pray toward this temple, then hear from heaven where you live and grant what they ask of you. In this way, all the people of the earth will come to know and fear you, just as your own people Israel do. They too will know that this temple I have built honors your name. If your people go out where you send them to fight their enemies, and if they pray to you by turning toward this city you have chosen, and toward this temple I have built to honor your name, then hear their prayers from heaven and uphold their cause. If they sin against you, and who has never sinned, you might become angry with them and let their enemies conquer them and take them captive to a foreign land far away or near. But in that land of exile, they might turn to you in repentance and pray, We have sinned, done evil, and acted wickedly. If they turn to you with their whole heart and soul in the land of their captivity and pray toward the land you gave to their ancestors, toward this city you have chosen, and toward this temple I have built to honor your name, then hear their prayers and their petitions from heaven where you live and uphold their cause. Forgive your people who have sinned against you. And now Second Chronicles 7 verses 1 and 2. When Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the burnt offerings and sacrifices and the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, thank you for the privilege we have to hear from you today. Lord, not just the answer to the question of this sermon of, do you need that temple? But God, give us clarity today to understand how we need to apply this to our lives. We thank you for all you have done and continue to do in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. I'd like for you to sing with me, the first verse of this great hymn of the church, it's called The Church's One Foundation. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. And with his blood he bought her 
and for her life he died. What is the church? Last week we said it was the kingdom of God, the bride of Christ. It is the people who have been saved by the blood of Jesus. We are the church, not the building that we meet in. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. The building that we meet in, especially at Word of Hope, the one we meet in on Sunday mornings, is not the church. It's merely a place where the church meets. The only thing that makes the building that we meet in holy is us. We fill this building with the Holy Spirit when we gather here to dedicate ourselves to serving God with all our hearts, souls, and minds. If you and I ever stop loving and serving Jesus Christ, the building will only be a building. It won't matter what the name on the sign out front or the A-frame signs near the street say. If we fail to stay faithful to Christ, this building will only be an empty shell as far as God is concerned. And that goes for the next building as well. Now that doesn't mean God isn't honored by church buildings, nor does it mean that God doesn't use church buildings or buildings like the one that we meet in. In fact, even though we don't own the building we meet in, God has used it a lot. He's permitted us to use this building for our weekly worship service, our midweek Bible study, special services throughout the year, especially Christmas Eve, and church fellowship meals and meetings. And if the Lord will grant us a building of our own, then we can increase our service to the Lord even more, and we can grow more than we can right now. Earlier this year, last March 6th, we had a congregational meeting, and we talked about the past thoughts and actions regarding a possible new building. And we came to the conclusion we were heading in the wrong direction as far as looking and saving for a building. The truth is we're not large enough to sustain a formal building program, even if we wanted to. But it remains our hope that God will grant us a new facility to minister in and from. But until that time, we remain faithful and we will grow and prepare ourselves for his service now because we are his church. Now, let's take a look back in time and think about the very first temple that was built by Solomon. This temple was constructed 480 years after Israel left their slavery in Egypt and was ultimately destroyed by King Nebuchadnezzar 410 years later when Judah was led away into captivity. For those four centuries, the temple served as a place of worship, offerings, and prayer for God's people. Now, we all hope that our future building will be well built too but it probably won't last 400 years. If we build a new facility, there'll be dozens of workers who will take months to complete the task. It will be built out of wood, plastic, metal, and drywall. And when it's finished, it's gonna cost us a lot. By contrast, the temple that Solomon built took nearly 200,000 workers and seven years to complete. It was made of huge slabs of cut and dressed stone. Then there was the precious stones and the woven fabric that was used throughout the structure. And there were various types of wood, like cedar, pine, and olive wood. And they used 4,000 tons of gold and 40,000 tons of silver. Someone once estimated the total cost of the temple in today's dollars to be about $60 billion. I'm not sure, but I'm guessing you could buy most of the county that we minister in, Comal County, 
with that kind of money. Now, as impressive as that temple was, I want you to notice a few things from Solomon's prayer that day. First, Solomon recognized that God did not need the temple that he'd built. There's the answer to the question. In his prayer of dedication, Solomon admitted in verse 18, But will God really live on earth among people? Why, even the highest heavens cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built. In the book of Acts, Stephen, the first Christian martyr, agreed. Acts 7, verses 47 to 50 read, But it was Solomon who actually built it, the temple. However, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. As the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Could you build me a temple as good as that? asked the Lord. Could you build me such a resting place? Didn't my hands make both heaven and earth? So in both the Old and New Testaments, God drove home this truth. You can't build a building that's big enough to house him, and you can't build a structure that's elaborate enough to impress him. He's God. If he wanted a building to live in, he could build something far better than we could ever begin to imagine. Now, my point is this. A lot of people don't think that way. A lot of people think God should be impressed with their building. These folks tend to get way too tied up in their church buildings. They spend elaborate amounts of money on their church structures, falsely believing that that would be the best way to bring people to Christ. You know, from my travels, I would say that some of the most beautiful church buildings ever constructed are in Europe. I once read the observations of one man who visited several of these cathedrals, and I agree with what he said. This is it, and I quote, I saw amazing church buildings with incredible architecture. They were old and their history was incredible, but some of them no longer had worship services. Some of them had small rooms partitioned off for current members. In most of them, there were more tourists during the average day than worshipers on a given Sunday. True that. These are huge cathedrals, folks, but virtually no one uses them to worship God. They've become basically irrelevant for the cause of Christ. They became places for museums rather than places for ministry. When we have our new building one day, we need to remember that. We need to remember that beautiful buildings should not be our focus. We should not try to win people to a beautiful building. We should try to win people to a beautiful Savior. Jesus won't need our building, but our building will need him. So first, Solomon recognized that God didn't need the temple he built. Secondly, Solomon recognized that God owned the temple. Second Chronicles 7, 1 and 2 said, When Solomon finished praying, fire flashed down from heaven and burned up the burnt offerings and sacrifices, and the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not enter the temple of the Lord because the glorious presence of the Lord filled it. So in his prayer, Solomon said that he built that temple. But once it was built, God filled the building with his spirit. And from that day on, it was called the temple of the Lord. So here's what I see. God didn't need the temple, but once it was dedicated to him, it belonged to him. In the same way, God doesn't need a church building. But once it's dedicated to him, it will belong to him, but not as some sort of sacred talisman or treasure. It will belong to God as a tool. Several years ago, I visited a pastor friend of mine in Helotus, Texas, not far from the city of San Antonio. And during that visit, we ended up in the new sanctuary his church had built. 
and what caught my attention was the communion table. It was placed in the back middle part of the stage. He told me it often had to be moved whenever they were clearing the stage for various groups that came to the church. He said that invariably, two or three guys from the group would get together and be prepared to lift what they thought was a really heavy piece of furniture, but what they discovered, it wasn't heavy at all. And do you know why? Because it was made out of hollow doors. He told me that years ago, one of the members there constructed a table out of hollow doors. He said people sit on it and nobody gets upset, including him. And do you know why? Because they understand it's just a table made out of hollow doors. So I asked Pastor Doug if they would ever replace it for one of those really fancy, ornate communion tables. You know the ones. They have all the fancy woodwork and the phrase on the front of it that says, do this in remembrance of me. He said he hoped that they would never replace it with something like that. And he went on to say that if they ever did have one of those fancy tables, no one would ever sit on it anyway. They'd forget that it was just a table that folks would be tempted to make it out to be more than just a table. They'd be tempted to make it an object of worship. Can you picture that? Can you picture people kneeling before a table like that, praying to it, regarding it as something sacred? It's just a table, and there's nothing special about it. It's just a tool. Folks, we don't even have a communion table at Word of Hope. It's prepared by our team in a little nook on the side of the room that we worship in, in full view of everyone. And that's where the trays sit until it's time for communion to be served. There's nothing special about that little nook. It's part of the building. We didn't even make it. But what's on the ledge is a special, precious, sacred commodity. Every Sunday, we place a communion tray on that ledge. And that ledge serves as a tool to hold the most precious meal ever eaten. Folks, it's not the ledge or the table that's sacred. It's the communion that sets on it that's sacred. In the same way, we should not worship a building, not this one or the one we hope to have one day, but we should use our building as a tool for God because it holds the most sacred commodity in the world. And do you know what that sacred commodity is? That's right. This building holds the church, the people that Jesus died to save. So first, Solomon recognized that God didn't need the temple he built. Second, Solomon recognized that God owned the temple. And third, Solomon recognized that the temple was worthless if it was filled with unrepentant sinners. Look at the text, 2 Chronicles 6, 36 through 39. It says, If they sin against you, and who has never sinned, you might become angry with them and let their enemies conquer them and take them captive to a foreign land far away or near. But in that land of exile, they might turn to you in repentance and pray, We have sinned, done evil, and acted wickedly. If they turn to you with their whole heart and soul in the land of their captivity, and pray toward the land you gave them, and pray toward the land you gave to their ancestors, toward this city you've chosen, and toward this temple I have built to honor your name, then hear their prayers and their petitions from heaven where you live and uphold their cause. Forgive your people who have sinned against you. Since being here at the Comal County Senior Citizen Center, we've experienced growth and loss in the church. We're almost 10 years old. In fact, Veterans Day will be our 10 year anniversary this year. We started with 27 people and then we grew to an average of between 75 and 85 each week. 
but then we entered a season of decline and we're back to almost where we started at about an average of 30. I feel certain though that when we have a new building, we'll experience some fairly phenomenal growth. But whether we continue to remain here or we have our own building, I'm cautious that we might get tempted to think we're pretty good stuff, more special than anyone else in town. And we might get tempted to think that God loves us more than anyone else. If we should ever get tempted to think in that way, we need to remember Romans 3.23, which says, for everyone is sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. So does that mean that you've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? Does that mean I've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? We need to remember that this building we're in right now and the one to come is for sinners who've been shown mercy. That's you and that's me. We need to remember that it's for those who failed to praise a gracious God. That's you and that's me. We need to remember it's for those who don't always think and act and speak like they should. That's you and that's me. We always need to remember that this building and the one to come is a place that we can come every week to be reminded of how much God has done for us and how much we need his mercy and grace. And all God's people said, Amen. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.